Welcome to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with innovators, challenging the status quo to create a better world. You're listening to Season 1, our series on space as a service. I'm your host, Caleb Parker. That's at Caleb underscore Parker on Twitter and Instagram. And this season, I'll be chatting with executives creating the future of commercial real estate. If you're a landlord, if you're an asset owner, if you're an agent, if you're in corporate real estate, you need to be listening because we're answering all the questions you need to know about space as a service. Welcome back. We are today talking about why the demand for space as a service is growing. And we're here with Lucy Watts, who's Senior Director for Strategic Projects with the Instant Group. Uh, Instant Group is uh, very unique in the sense that they've been doing business in the flex space arena for 20 years and have loads and loads of data. And Lucy's responsible for key strategic projects across the group. But more specifically, Lucy's now managing Instant's flex and data insight service, uh, leveraging Instant's unique market position and 20 years worth of data on the flexible workspace market. And the solution is insights for both operators, landlords, agents, and investors. So Lucy, first question for you. We just said you head up this Flex and Data Insight Service. So what sorts of insights do you provide? So we, yeah, we, we've kind of responded to the demand in the sector that has grown, particularly in the last sort of two to three years. And we are focusing on really four key areas that the demand is coming from. So helping people understand supply is the first area. So who's in the market, what are they offering, what amenities are they offering, how we see those things changing, that's the first one. Demand, so what kind of volume of demand is coming through, the sectors in which businesses are in, size of companies, client profiling, etc. And then sort of matching that to supply. The third area is pricing, obviously very important to understand what's going on in the market, how healthy it is, how that's changing. And we have visibility and and we track the trends around listed advertised pricing, if you like, and then watching what happens with discounting and transacted achieved price and, you know, how that changes. And then the fourth area really is around um, occupancy. So how healthy are the centres and and buildings in which the operators are, are running? And I guess there's some other areas that we also apply on top, but those are the four kind of key pillars for the data service that we see a lot of uh, demand coming through for now. I'm going to have some follow-up questions on some of those data points in a mm-hmm. moment. But first, um, just, just out of curiosity, uh, we talked about the the customers that subscribe to the service. Mm. Are you are you finding that it's more operators then of, of flex space or is it is it landlords and investors? As a demand for the, the service? For, the, for this um, insight service? Um, it, really broad. I mean, we, we, we have always provided a certain level of insight to the operators to help kind of give a view on demand and um, supply information, but we've just really professionalized that service and operators are coming. I, th- I think there's been a real shift in the industry actually, and it, I think it's partly because there's some big investors that have come in and backed certain businesses. There's a requirement for more due diligence. I also think it's down to how competitive the market is now. You know, you might be competing with a number of other people when you're looking at acquiring a new building and therefore data has become much more important in making sure you're doing that due diligence at the start. So operators have always needed it, but the demand has has grown and for more in-depth data. But our clients are, you know, as you said at the start, they're investors, landlords, you know, definitely the landlords as they've entered the market or they are looking at their buildings being taken by a, you know, new, maybe a new operator in the industry. There's a real demand to look at, you know, more information. And then, yeah, agents, actually clients as well. There's some customers of ours that we might be working in in other remits, maybe offering them flex workspace as a service, but they might also want to understand the flexible workspace 
as a, a kind of more of a trend to get an understanding of what's going on. So it really is a very broad uh, range of clients coming through. In, in regards to, I, I, I completely get why operators would subscribe to the service. And personally, I think more landlords that are looking at entering the space and the investors that are mm-hmm. that are backing new operators mm. would, would subscribe. But on the landlord side, out of curiosity, uh, how are these customers reacting to the, to the insights that you're providing for them? Well, I think, you know, reacting to it in that we have repeat customers coming back to buy for different locations. And it really is when they are looking at a new market. I think, um, you know, the primary reasons that we're seeing is they're either looking at underwriting a building and and want to understand more, you know, about the financial modelling and what kind of returns can be expected and achieved in a given market. And is that for the building overall or is that for specifically within Flex in that within building? Within Flex. Okay. Within Flex, yeah. Definitely focusing in on, you know, how, how the various models work and, and what can be provided. Um, and then the other kind of main reason is more about um, benchmarking existing portfolios. So how is someone performing maybe against uh, the general market? There's definitely a kind of lack of information that people can get. And I think, you know, we, we traditionally know that People go out to market and talk to their peers, or they might do a bit of mystery shopping. Um, but that only gives you a very short-term yeah, static part, view of yeah. what's going on in the sector. Whereas what we're trying to show is, um, you know, what trends are coming out and how are they changing, you know, quarter by quarter or, or in a six-month period? And how, you know, does the sector respond to certain, you know, political um, influences or chain, you know, economic changes? You know, that's, that's what they're getting from it, you know, insight and trends rather than kind of snapshot view which you can't really base long-term decisions on well let's let's talk about some of those insights now um you know we keep seeing stats about the growth of demand for flex space um there's been predictions that while right now depending on the market flex space the take up is about six percent of the overall office stock in mm-hmm. jll said it'll go to 30 percent. those are sort of like the predictions but if we talk about actual um, numbers and actual customer demand. Mm. And I've, I've heard a lot of people say that the, the, the take up is, is overstated even because companies like WeWork and some of the others are taking speculative leases, but those, those buildings aren't actually full. Mm-hmm. So it's really not accurate, uh, as you're saying. So I'm interested in actual customer demand. Mm. What can you talk about? In, are you seeing increases in, in demand for flex across from the customer, the people that are sitting in the desks. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's um, a very healthy growth in demand for flexible workspace. We would say we've seen a particular increase across the larger requirements. The, the growth has kind of been there, a steady growth on the smaller requirements, people using it. You know, the one, two, three desks has kind of always been there. But the real growth in recent months and the last couple of years would be around the kind of 25 to 50 desk requirements. Why, why is that? I think, you know, there's probably a number of reasons that's driving that. One of the reasons is that there've been the operators that have taken larger spaces. So you say, you know, WeWork have come into the market and taken speculative leases. Some of the buildings they've opened have been much larger scale than some of the previous ones. So there's a there's an understanding that the market can cater to some of those larger requirements coming through now. But really, it's down to the corporate occupier or the scale up occupier as well who are looking for flexibility within their portfolios. They, they recognize, you know, the average length of a, a or cycle of a business is shorter, getting shorter. 
And therefore, you need to ensure that you have some flexibility within a more fixed traditional leased portfolio so that you're not taking on too much risk. So I think there's just a, a big increase in acceptance of flexible, not kind of viewing it as a, um, you know, a, a necessity if you've got a project or if you've got overflow requirements coming through. It's more a strategic approach to uh, their real estate portfolio. Now, I can imagine that the demand that you're talking about comes from a range of company sizes, but you mentioned the trend of the, the size of the 20 to 25 workspaces or workstations mm-hmm. being, being a trend, but are there any other trends such as company profiles, the term length, or maybe even are you seeing a duration in a building or renewals, consecutive renewals in a building, people staying longer in a flex space? What sort of trends are you seeing there? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, you know, the industry has always had quite a, a static, uh, you know, average initial term that is contracted sub sub 12 months, around nine, 10 months. I, we see have seen that that has grown. And um, there's definitely, I think as the larger, if you're taking a larger space and there's maybe a little bit more bespoke work that goes on in the fit out of that space, for example, if you take an enterprise solution and you might be involved in the fit out of that space and, and you know, making sure it has the right environment for your brand, if you're a large corporate, they're not signing, you know, very short contracts. So I think that has shifted the overall average term beyond the months that we've seen previously. And, you know, there's certainly some operators out there that we know have very healthy retention rates within their within their building. So, you know, some of the kind of TOG and BE clients uh, are, are certainly, Osset as well, we, we, we were talking to them and I think they were saying they have clients that have been there sort of on average 23 months. So very healthy retention rates. If you keep your customers happy and there's room to grow within that space and they are a growing business, then you, you can you can have them, you know, stay significantly longer than that first 10 to 12 month period. And, and that, that you referenced um, office space in town there. And, and I think there's the other one. Be- a business environment, business environment, and the office group, yeah. and you're saying their their uh, retention rates are double the average right now, the average initial term. Well, j- just that you know, anecdotally, they've said that they they have a client. Their average is much longer than the first initial term average. And is there is there something in there that that you think traditional landlords can learn from? I think it's about service, isn't it? And um, not making it feel like it's a temporary solution. I mean, all of those three brands that we talked about there, they have a brilliant offering to the clients who are really happy to be in those spaces. And, you know, it's not just a short term solution. You know, they've got an engagement with the the brand, the amenities that might be offered. And also that they are one of the things that I think really helps some of those mid-size operators is the having a, you know, range of locations so that, you, you know, if a client outgrows their space within a particular location, they can potentially offer a space within a new building they're opening or, or nearby. Which a lot of the smaller landlords can't do mm. because you might have you know, companies like the Crown Estate or Great Portland Estates, they, they may have a portfolio, but some of the lar- smaller landlords, they don't have a, a network of locations yeah. as, as an operator might have. Yeah, that, that, that's potentially a challenge that we might see from some of the smaller landlords that are offering it. But I, I think you, know, you, you don't need a huge portfolio. You just need a selection that can move clients around and and accommodate. And I think that, you know, the landlords are probably looking at, you know, we've had some landlords that have opened one location as a kind of pilot. How does that, how does that work? And, you know, to see how quickly they can, uh, you know, reach a kind of healthy occupancy within that location. And I would, I would imagine that those landlords will see that it's a success and will go on to open more. more. And, you know, we're talking, talking to some of those landlords that have entered into the market recently, and, and they're saying, 
look, we're trying to build a proposition that results in a client that can come in and take the space that they want on a flexible basis. But we also have a kind of enterprise solution should they grow rapidly and need need that kind of larger space. But we also can offer the kind of HQ uh, long-term traditional lease should that be what that customer is looking for. So I think the, you know, they're trying to answer the, the um, challenge of not having had a more flexible offering uh, previously. So speaking of the enterprise sort of flex solution, uh, you guys have your own managed office solution, mm. uh, and which is what I understand has become a big significant part of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, without getting into the details there, what drives a company's decision to sort of go the managed route versus taking a lease? Yeah. Well, uh, we, we've been offering the managed solution for a, a good number of years now. And I think that um, the, the industry's changed quite a lot when we, from when we first launched the managed offering. I think at, the t- at that time, we were probably bridging a gap where customers were looking for something more flexible, more short term than a traditional lease, but for, for something that had more longevity in the term than, than a, a flexible workspace maybe was uh, offering or the scale, you know. The size of spaces have, have always been traditionally much bigger than, than have been available. And in terms of what customers makes customers go for a, a managed solution today, I think comes down to a very flexible solution. Yeah, as we've already said, lots of customers are looking for that flexibility within their portfolio. But we're very client-led. We, we don't have buildings. We, we have clients come to us with their requirement and we would go to market and look at what is the best solution for that customer? That might be a flexible workspace operator solution. It might be a building that we source and um, we can pr- produce a kind of bespoke solution for that customer. So I think it's the fact that we're client-led and we kind of listen to what they're looking for and then go to market. It's the speed. We can, de- we can deliver the solution very okay. quickly. And, and that is you know, very um, important for some of the um, clients that have taken space in the past. And I, I guess it's the kind of reduced capex and you know fixed cost that that is attractive as well. So you talk about speed. Is this is this solution a um, is it typically for your blue chip companies or is it back to the scale ups you were mentioning earlier? Um, it, it it's all kind of customers, but I think we would probably have more um, more corporates in in our um, solutions. But yeah, we we're kind of catering to every type of client. It's all about what kind of requirement they have and what we can match to in, in the um, industry. Is there a typical footprint on a managed office deal that you, that you guys have done? Is, is a certain range of size um, or minimum even? A minimum might be, it, it is significantly larger, so it might be 15,000, 20,000 square feet upwards from that. But, you know, we, we would look at most sizes. And and is, is the density in those similar to what we see in the WeWork or is it, it what we see in more conventional leases? The density will range based on the customer's requirements. So like I said, the client will come to us with what they're looking for. We will work with them on what, what kind of you know, density they have is within their existing portfolio if they have one. And um, yeah, we, we kind of work, work with them on that. Okay, so uh, I've got a couple of quick fire questions for you. Um, these, these are meant to just sort of like the first thing that pops in your head, um, what, your, what your answer is here. So I'm curious to hear, you know, you see a, a lot of things, you've got a lot of experience in this industry. What two predictions do you have for the flex space or space as a service world, maybe in the next year or two? Mm. I, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of predictions recently. I think that if I, top of my head, I would say the, I believe the demand for data and, and insights will continue to grow. We've seen that massively change in the last 
sort of 12 to 18 months, I would I would imagine that that will continue, particularly in the overseas regions as well, where a lot of growth is happening. So yeah, that's one of them. And I, I think the other one would probably be, I think that there will just be a blurring, a, this continued blurring of, of lines that, you know, the sector, talk about the flexible workspace sector and the traditional sector, but I think that there are, you know, it's crossing over and I think I can only see that continuing as more landlords enter into the market with a solution and more growth in some of the smaller secondary tertiary cities. It will just become a product that is more available and, a, a, you know, kind of a go to rather than something that is seen as a sort of sub area of the market. Well, I happen to agree with you on that. I like the term full stack CRE. Mm-hmm where in, in my view, a building should have an amenity level mm. that caters to the both physical and mental well-being. Yes. Makes the, um, the occupants, the, the customers sitting in that building, interacting with that building, very comfortable and happy to be there. Mm. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely really important to think about what is on offer for the customers that are in that space. It's, it's, not, it's not just about you know, workspace, it's about the environment that the, the clients are working in. And, I think one of one of the reasons why corporates are continuing to ha- have more interest is about attracting talent and retaining them by having a really good offering within that space. And obviously, you can provide that yourself, or you can provide that via the operators in which you um, you're seated. Going back to your your comment about data, mm. um, and, and it's and obviously you have a data service, so you're going to have to say that. But <laughs> got to plug that. <laughs> but um, but there, there's a reason you guys made this a part of your business. Mm. So w- why do you think data is so important? Um, I, I think it comes back to what I was saying. The market is more competitive, more uh, traditional um, kind of bodies. I guess are looking at the sector. There's you know there's investors that have come in that were not previously looking at it. You know, there's been quite a tumultuous year across the the industry for a number of reasons, and I think that you know some businesses have found it challenging to to you know be profitable. So I think there's just a greater need for due diligence to be done when you're looking at whether it might be looking at acquiring a building, it might be looking at acquiring an operator. There's lots of growth around you know the franchising model that that's happening a lot in the US and. and in Asia as well. I think if that model continues to grow, we're seeing both from the franchise, uh, you know, master franchise or in the franchisees, they're looking for that information so that they can ensure they're making a, a kind of sensible investment. So yeah, I, I think it will come down to the fact that there's this growth, but such a lack of information. And we've seen other sectors do it. The hotel sector was very similar in the past. Well, Smith Travel Research, yeah. um, which wasn't it recently acquired by, by CoStar. CoStar, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. And I think, you know, that's a that's a good example of how an industry was without information and they were, you know, I guess, working manually to get access to that information and then moved over time onto much more automated and real time um, information. And, and that adds huge value to enable, you know, accurate pricing and making sure that you are running your portfolios the most in the most efficient way rather than just getting those kind of snapshot views that we talked about earlier well you know we talk about the we work and what's going on there um mm. that aside there's also been a lot of smaller news what rocket space is, mm. is leaving uh, central working went into administration the clubhouse went into administration mm. i think it's been taken over by regis do you think having this data is going to prevent those sort of consolidations or maybe bad decisions i'm gonna say mm. from happening that's quite a, a, um, a bold statement, <laughs> but I, I, I think, yes, I think that, that, you know, you can spot things happening sooner if you have information. And, you know, we've certainly had conversations with people who said, you know, if I'd had that understanding of, of what was going on with the rates, then we might have been able to drive 
uh, occupancy, uh, target occupancy faster than we were able to achieve because, uh, you know, maybe they were overpricing at the outset and that, you know, results in deals slowing, I, I guess. So, yes, I think it could help that. You know, you're always going to have challenges in the sector. That That's just part and parcel of, you know, opening up and, and uh, you know, whether you can really make it work. But I hope we see fewer of those types of uh, bits of news in, in 2020. Well, this was meant to be a quick fire round and, and we sort of got off on a tangent yeah. and, and I'm going to continue that tangent one more uh, time before we get into the last two questions okay. here. So there was an article recently, I think it was by Dror Poleg, I don't know if you follow him, but it, in the article he predicted, whoever wrote it predicted, that as we work retools and stops chasing growth and goes for profit, mm-hmm. we're going to see their prices, whereas before they were pretty much underwriting everybody's workspace mm. because they were giving away all this free space, their prices are going to go up by 30%, mm. which will filter through the rest of the industry and we'll see workstation prices go up. Mm. Do you think, just your opinion, uh, do you think that's going to happen? Um, I think it could happen, yeah. I, 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 uh, we, we all know that the pricing would have impacted the industry slightly. It always happens. You know, I, I remember when other operators had done certain kind of discounting for extended periods and it does have an impact on the on the overall achieved pricing. We actually would, would say that the pricing in London has gone down slightly because of increased space, actually, over that period. It's not just about what we were doing. And also as... When you say increased space, you mean oversupply? Yes. Okay. Yeah, just, just opening at similar times. And, and the, the size of the space is being so much bigger. So the, the time it takes to reach full occupancy is a little bit longer. But the, and the, other, the other reason that pricing has been impacted is just the as operators start to look beyond just the kind of core central markets in London, for example, you start to get the, the broader areas having greater expansion and therefore the pricing is impacted slightly there too. Going back to your original question around, do I think that their pricing will impact? I think, I think it will. But one thing I would say is that a lot of operators did still hold firm on their pricing in, in the last couple of years, partly because it wasn't feasible to kind of do the discounting that was being offered by some other providers. So um, it will probably have an overall impact. It certainly will on the average death rate based on WeWork. If they're achieving that that increased pricing, it will have an impact because they have a high percentage of stock. However, um, yeah, I, I think that there are some providers that have probably continued with their normal pricing and will continue to do so. I think it's a good thing, though. If the industry can get back to kind of healthy, healthy number, then that's good. Healthy is always good. All right, so I'm going to get back to my quick fire round. Two okay. final questions for you really fast. What's been your biggest surprise in the sector recently? Biggest surprise? I think maybe just that the, I guess, since the landlords and agents maybe have started to kind of take notice of the industry, just the speed at which the, the, the scale and change and knowledge of the flex industry is, is just so rapid. And having, having worked in it for kind of 15 years, seeing that change, you know, the last two years is much faster than the previous 10, for example. And that for me... Yeah, that's that's been surprising, but you know, a good a good thing. Yeah, I think I think the wave's picking up speed for sure. Mm. Definitely. All right. So, I ask this of everyone that comes on: Who do you get inspired by in our industry? Inspired by? That's a good question. Who do you look up to? Maybe. Well, in terms of um, in terms of brands, I quite I'm quite inspired by the new players that are coming into the market and just challenging the maybe more traditional um, Can we name some names? Can we name some names? So, um, Convene, yeah. you know, they're doing good things. They're going to open their first London um, location. I saw that and I like the fact that they're doing a kind of blend of hospitality and 
and the the kind of real estate i think you know we'll see that model come out more and more um they're a top-notch operation yeah and and you know good quality and attracting um good good clients i think so yeah and i i think in terms of um people you know i i loved seeing in the in the recent article uh, announcing kind of top 50 odd women in real estate 46, 46. i saw that there i saw that go. too that's that was from business now yeah yeah i loved seeing um tanya adir from uncommon named oh, yeah. in that and also yeah. emma long from BizSpace. two people representing our industry to be amongst them is you know it's great to see that and and i hope you know next year that to see more and uh yeah and lizzie lamb finally i think she's someone that has just grown a, a massive global kind of co-working movement and speaking uh, of a wave she's taken off in the past two years around the world yeah well exactly that's Crazy. what i mean it's it, that's that's really admirable there wasn't a kind of conference in london that you know like that previously so she's just kind of launched that and and round the world and yeah. i think that that's a really impressive network and and we're speaking about juicy by the way gcuc is the yes. global co-working unconference yeah that's the one yeah i just think i think what she's achieved in a quite a short amount of time is impressive yeah fantastic well lucy thank you for coming on hope you return to the show in a couple yeah, months maybe pleasure thank you for having me well thank you for listening today and tune in for the next episode where we'll continue talking space as a service all season long We've got an exciting and insightful season ahead, and I hope you enjoy every episode. If you do, I'd love for you to share it with that one person who you think should hear the message. You can always find our podcast on our website, workbold.co, and click on podcast. And it would mean a lot to me if you leave the show a five-star review. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And finally, please do connect with me on social media. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker on Twitter and Instagram, or just search LinkedIn. Send me a message, a DM, send me your questions. What do you want to hear about next? Comment on my accent or challenge what we've talked about. I want to hear from you. Now, thank you for listening. And don't forget, fortune favors the bold. You're listening to a podcast company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at podcastsyndicator.com or Brett at podcastsyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.